In Exodus 20, verse 7, the Lord speaks, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And this afternoon I preached to you the gospel of that third commandment as it's summarized and confessed by the church, Lord's Days 36 and 37 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You can find Lord's Day 36 on page 553 in the Book of Praise, if you'd like to read along. Here the church confesses what is required in the third commandment. We are not to blaspheme or to abuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths, nor to share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. Rather, we must use the holy name of God only with fear and reverence so that we may rightly confess him, call upon him, and praise him in all our words and works. Is the blaspheming of God's name by swearing and cursing such a grievous sin that God is angry also with those who do not prevent and forbid it as much as they can? Certainly, for no sin is greater or provokes the wrath, God's wrath more than the blaspheming of his name. That is why he commanded it to be punished with death. But may we swear an oath by the name of God in a godly manner? Yes, when the government demands it of its subjects, or when necessity requires it in order to maintain and promote fidelity and truth to God's glory and for our neighbor's good. Such oath-taking is based on God's word, and was therefore rightly used by saints in the Old and the New Testament. May we also swear by saints or other creatures? No, a lawful oath is a calling upon God, who alone knows the heart, to bear witness to the truth and to punish me if I swear falsely. No creature is worthy of such honor. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to understand the third commandment, we need to picture a projector that receives input from a pen drive and then projects the images outward onto a screen so that everyone can see it. If the projector is unable to receive the information from the, the memory stick, the pen drive that you, you stick into it, then you will not be able to find out what was on the pen drive, the information in the pen drive. And it will either go to a different source and show you something different, or if you've ever been a presenter, it will display those dreaded words just when everybody's looking, no signal. The projector also fails to be a useful instrument if it presents a distorted image of the information that's on the, the memory stick due to either a cracked lens or a dim light bulb or a bad connection in the inner workings. When Christians are guided by the Holy Spirit to live according to the third commandment as God created them to do, then they are like good projectors. They are amply supplied with power and capability from God they have, a Christian is able to read and comprehend the information that God has revealed about his name 
They're able to receive comfort from this truth in their inner being, and so they're able to project that glorious name outwards so that others can see it in a clear and a visible way. And the gospel for the church in the third commandment is that the Holy Spirit restores us to know God's holy name, to address him truthfully, and to praise him in all our words and our works. And I preach to you this gospel under the theme in the third commandment, the Lord reveals that his name is holy. And we will see that God, the Lord, wants his children to have his name, Jesus Christ, used his name correctly for us and in our place. And in the third place, the Holy Spirit helps us to walk with his name upon us. When God gave us the third commandment, he revealed that he wants to live in a relationship with us, his creatures. Although the one true God, that's the first commandment, did not have any form, that's the second commandment, he revealed to us that he is not just an abstract force or a power, but he is a personal God with a name. He can speak to us, and we can speak to him, and he can hear us. And every word that he spoke to us in the Bible reveals to us more and more about who he is. And so we can learn about him, both from the titles that he gives when he says, for example, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, I am faithful to my covenant. But also we can learn from his word, his name, from the things that he has done. And so we see his name is another way, maybe we say today, his reputation, how he is known to us. And this name is further revealed to us with the adjectives, that's describing words, adjectives that we use when we talk about God. The adjectives attached to his name are adjectives like almighty, or omnipresent, present in all places. Simple, that he's not, one, uh, one part of him is, is in contradiction to another. He's holy, he, he stands apart from us. He's immutable, he cannot change. He's just, he's merciful. To know the name of the Lord is to know what we can expect from him. We see God's grace to us in revealing his name, giving it to us so we have it, so we can know what we can expect from him. Perhaps not in the details about what will happen to us this evening or tomorrow or, or, or next week, but certainly we can know what we can expect from God with, uh, with concerning how he will treat us in whatever circumstances we are in. We know that because we have his name. And this knowledge of his name, it increases not only when we read and study his word and think about what he says, but also as we live our lives and we experience his faithfulness, his wisdom, his love, and his goodness in all the different situations and challenges of our lives. The third commandment really reveals to us that God wants us to know who he is according to the truth. And by revealing his name 
to the creatures he made, the almighty and the most holy creator of heaven and earth, he shows that he wants us to clearly understand our relationship to him. For example, the name just the creator, the creator. That already shows us that we are his creatures. We live in a world that was made by him. When we have his name close to our hearts, we live in our, our lives knowing just from our very hearts that he is the potter and we are the clay. We know that because he's revealed his name to us. His reputation as a just judge, his name as, as a holy king. Well, that makes it clear that every creature will be answerable to him for everything they have done. And those who rebel against him will be punished. We know that because we have his name. And yet he wants you to know him as his father. Wants you to, he wants you to be known as, he wants, you, he wants himself to be known to you as, as father so that you can know that you are his adopted children by his choice, by his grace. You are placed in his son. You are led by the spirit and you can speak to him. You can live in a relationship to him like a child to a father. And when we know his name, when we, we know his titles, what he is like, when we study the name in our regular scripture reading and we think about who is this God that we worship, when we repeat in our language what he has revealed, then the Holy Spirit uses this knowledge so that we may live near to him at every moment in every day. This is what the Lord wants of his creatures. That's why he gave us his name. And he wants you to treat it as holy so that you may be truly comforted by who he is. And God also wants his glory to be made known. He wants his name to be known in all the earth. How many Psalms mention that? And he wants that to happen through his creatures. So he, he puts his name on his creatures so that his name can be known in all the earth. He calls us his image bearers. He entrusts us with his name like you might, he might give it to you as a last name. And so we are able to identify ourselves as God's people, like a, a name that rests on us. We may be representatives of the Lord in the earth. That's what it means when it says before the fall he created us in his image so we can reflect his glory. We sang Psalm 19, verse uh, stanza 1, just as the spacious heavens and the stars declare his name without words because they are the works of God's hands, so also his people make the name of God known in all the earth by their thoughts, by their responses to God, by their treatment of others, by their use of his name in oaths. And so we see what God wants for us, his people, when he gave us his name and the third commandment. And so he forbids us also to hide and to twist and to uh, misrepresent 
the truth of God's name, to treat it like something frivolous, something in vain. To use his name in vain literally means to treat God as you would treat something light and, and, and useless, like, like chaff. And since people, most people can only know God through his word and through the image bearers he has made, you can see how it is an attack on the one true God to use his name without believing that he even exists. It's, it's having a name that's attached to nothing, to nothingness, to chaff. Or to talk about God as if he were just like we are. Or even perhaps even a little below us as a servant that we can control. The Lord wants us to have his name and to have it rightly. And that is why he gave us the third commandment. Thanks be to Jesus Christ that he used his name correctly for us and in our place. Because when we see how God wants us to use his name, and we think about our own lives, we're supposed to compare the law, God's will, with how we live, we see that his law, the light of the law, it exposes uh, within us the need for forgiveness of sins. We need the comfort of the obedience of Jesus Christ, who used the name of the Lord with fear and reverence to rightly confess him, to call upon him, and to praise him in all his words and works. We look again at the Gospels because they declare to us what our obedience looks like. And we see there in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ that he always gave weighty respect to the name of the Lord. He didn't treat it like light, insignificant chaff, but he treated it as something weighty, as something holy, something very, very important. He never used the name of the Lord frivolously. He never scorned the reputation of God by talking about God or his work as if it was something that was uh, insignificant. When you go through the Gospels, you read every word that our Lord Jesus spoke about God or, or to God, you will see that he always preached the full counsel of God. You can see it almost as in two sides, both the, the majesty and, and the holiness of the creator and judge, as well as his beautiful, loving, and gracious relationship to his covenant children who he is, and our relationship to him. Our Lord Jesus did not manipulate the word of God to say what our itching ears want to hear. He, he spoke the whole counsel. He didn't just pick out the parts that he liked. And that is why everyone who believes in his son, Jesus Christ, can speak to their creator with confidence, trust, and love as a child speaks with his or her parents. And so when we are sorry for using God's name without reverence by swearing or cursing, when we repent of the sin of 
reading God's name in the Bible without thinking of to whom we are referring. Or when we repent of the sin of referring to God but using uh, faulty titles in a, in a casual, in a disrespectful way, and, and, and just to give an example but not to encourage the type of language when sometimes people talk about the big guy upstairs or something very unbiblical, very disrespectful, very faulty when we repent of that sin. Or when we teach in a, a one-sided way about God's holiness so that we create a dilemma between his justice and his mercy. Well, then we can find our joy and our hope in the obedience of Jesus Christ who never committed these sins. He obeyed the third commandment every time he talked about God, every time he addressed his heavenly Father with reverence and with awe, and he taught us to desire that the Father's name be hallowed. And then you can open your Bibles or again, or maybe you have your bookmark in there, Matthew 11, verses 25 to 30, verse 25 and 26. You can see how the Lord Jesus addressed the Lord when he prayed to him. Maybe you remember how, how that was in verse 25. The Lord Jesus is speaking and is perfectly obedient to the third commandment. He's a, he shows us what it looks like. And then he, he, he prays, uh, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed uh, them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. You look at those words. Do you see how, do you see the confidence that our Lord Jesus had uh, that his father hears him and knows him. He, he knew that he, he respected the name of his father just in that certainty and that knowledge. And do you see how our Lord Jesus used the name of God with trust and with love and with gratitude? His opening words that thank his father, whom he confesses to be the Lord of heaven and earth, show that he knew his place as a child in relation to his heavenly Father. He prayed knowing that God is the giver and we are receivers. He praised God for his sovereign judgment and even punishment of those who thought they knew everything. And then on the other hand, he praised God for his grace to those who were humble and helpless and dependent like little children. You see both sides of the name of God, his majesty, his holiness, and his gracious relationship to those who trust in him. And when we are sorry for using God's name in our prayers as if he were our equal, when we repent of the sin of treating God like our errand boy, for using our prayer time for giving him a long list of things that we need. When we tremble to see our sin of blasphemy for praying out of habit or without thinking about whom we are talking to, so praying with insincerity. When we ask God to forgive us for praying without being willing to submit 
to his will or praying as if he cannot hear us or does not already know what we need, then we can be comforted to know that Jesus Christ always called upon the Lord in prayer with fear and with reverence, and he did so for us and in our place. We can see that obedience to the third commandment there in the Gospels. And so his word his words to the people are, are fitting. As we recognize our own weakness, we hear him say, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Everything that our Lord Jesus did he did in the name of the Father. He did it for his Father's glory. That's why we read John 5, John 5, verse 30. The Lord Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. It has to do with the projection of who God is and Jesus Christ's faithfulness in showing that to the world. Jesus Christ knew that God has put his name upon him, that the Father could be known through the works that he had given to his Son, Jesus Christ, to accomplish, as John 5, verse 36. Nothing that our Lord Jesus did could then cause another person around him to think the wrong things about God or to justify using God's name in vain as a swear word, or to believe that God ought to be damned or to be cursed for some disease or trial or mishap in their lives. It, it wasn't possible because Jesus Christ fully reflected the Father to the world and the Father's will, and the Father is good, and He is wise, and He is just, and He is merciful. And so, in everything He did, the Lord Jesus reflected the love, the justice, and the power of God. If you look in John 5, you can see how he does it. The verses before we read, he says, As the Father was this uh, uh, powerful, uh, so is the Son. As the Father loves, so does the Son. As the Father judges, so does the Son. He perfectly obeyed the third commandment in reflecting the Father to the world. And when we repent of the sin of causing others to curse God because we are unfaithful in showing true and unselfish love, when we do not prevent one another from misrepresenting God's name to the world by, by evil works, when we fail to Use Matthew 18 with faithfulness, not for our glory or the glory of the other person, but for the glory of the name of the Lord. Or when we share in such sins by standing silently by when God's name is blasphemed, when we repent of these sins, we can turn to Jesus Christ in our sorrow and in our repentance, and we can see the righteousness that God will credit to our account because of our Savior's obedience. The gospel shines through again. 
You see, our substitute, Jesus Christ, always perfectly reflected the truth of God's name to the world. And he did this for us and in our place. It's the gospel that we love, the gospel that we cling to. With his life's example and with his teaching, he rebukes, uh, he, uh, he did, with his teaching and his rebukes, he did his utmost to remove blasphemy from the face of the earth, not just among believers, but, but from everyone. So that everyone would always have the ability, the opportunity to know the true God. You see, blasphemy hides God. Blasphemy is a way of, of attacking God so no one can get to know him. As Christians, this is the last thing we want to do. Look at how strong the confession is to say, let us not blaspheme. And the Lord Jesus showed this very clearly in all his life. In his love, in Matthew 10, or Mark 10, he reminded a rich young man who had addressed the Lord Jesus as good, he said to him that no one is good except God alone. The Lord Jesus never took away the unique message communicated to us through the adjectives that belong exclusively to God. He didn't take those adjectives and then apply them to anybody or anything else. Our Lord Jesus showed us that obedience to the third commandment calls for precision in the use of our words, careful thought to the use of adjectives like, like good. He also defended the proper use of God's name in oaths. He rebuked the leaders for taking the, the certainty and the seriousness out of oaths by flippantly using them for all sorts of different things and with all sorts of different levels of guarantees. And considering how our Lord's entire life glorified the name of God. It is, we would say in human terms, a tragic irony to see that Jesus Christ was falsely charged, excommunicated, and sent to be crucified outside the gate for the crime of blasphemy. He was charged with blasphemy. How his opponents must have trembled when God raised Jesus from the dead to prove that the only people guilty of blasphemy and worthy of God's punishment were those who resist or persist in rebellion against the Spirit of God and who refuse to believe that Jesus Christ has fulfilled all righteousness. And brothers and sisters, we see the urgency of the call to depend and trust and believe in the obedience of Jesus Christ. We live by grace alone. It is blasphemy to deny the work of Jesus Christ as he taught us to persist in this rebellion. You can read more about that in Matthew 12. What a blessing it is to know and believe that Jesus is Lord that his spirit within us is leading us to walk in the name of the Lord with God's name upon our heads. 
You see that in our third point. When the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts, he makes us want to speak the name of God with fear and respect. You see, when we confess his name in our written confessions, you can even take a quick look. The, the first article of the Belgic Confession, what does it first establish? The name of the Lord. It begins with a clear statement of the name that God has revealed to us so that everything that we say that follows is in the context of the revelation of His name. So we're, we're speaking correctly about the God we worship. We want to clearly confess His name. Also understand the words we use in the Apostles' Creed, in the Nicene Creed, in the Athanasian Creed. And in this way, the Holy Spirit ensures that God's people speak His name with precision and with truthfulness when we pray. Or when we read the Bible, we do so remembering who gave us this word, who is speaking. When we pray, we, we take a moment to reflect on to whom we are praying. And the Holy Spirit helps us to be aware of who our God is, that He is almighty and holy and righteous and just and merciful and good, a Father to His children. So the Holy Spirit helps us to know who He is, helps us to know His relationship to us, and then we realize the wisdom of our Lord Jesus. When He taught us to pray, He said, start your prayer saying, our Father in heaven. That's the name. It's the name he used when he addressed his Father. We saw that in Matthew 11. It's also what we may use. It's a way of embracing the consequences of the knowledge of the name of the Lord. And we embrace the consequences of his name also by the posture, our posture when we are praying. The Spirit leads us to, to pray with a respectful posture. Sometimes also to take a few moments before we, we pray or read the Bible to reflect, to remember where we're starting from, those first articles of, the, of our confession. Who is God who is speaking? And then think about the words that we use when we talk to God, when we talk about God. We think about the, the pronouns, the adjectives as well that that are faithful to his name, that reflect both his majesty and his nearness to us. You see, he is neither a distant, aloof, king-like figure that we hardly know, nor is he a fun-loving sibling that we can never offend. He is our heavenly father. And we protect those adjectives reserved for God and our understanding of his name also by refraining from using adjectives that belong to God for very commonplace things. We see it often on, on advertisements about a muffin that is simply divine. You see how that attacks the name of the Lord, what we confess. And so led by the Holy Spirit, we think about what we are saying when we are praying. And we think about that also with with the pronouns that we use, that it captures the intimate relationship with God, but also that He is a God who is awesome in His power and His holiness. 
And so we seek to use the, the language of our confessions and we seek to, to keep the language of our confessions up to date. The way we speak uh, today, it's a way of showing honor and respect to the third commandment and to the using of God's, uh, and to the use of God's name. The Holy Spirit in our hearts helps us in our speaking about God, our speaking to God, and then also in the way we reflect God's name to those around us. You can think about ways that the Holy Spirit uses your body, your mind, your life to reflect, to praise God's name in all your words and in all your works. You see, every time we leave the worship service, we receive a blessing. And if you look in number six, that blessing we receive, it, it's the Lord putting his name upon his people. We, we leave here with the name of God on our heads, our shoulders. And so we are the ones bearing the image of God who represent that name to the world. And the Holy Spirit makes us want to pay attention to how God's name is seen through our lives. He makes us want to fight against every sin that brings dishonor to the name of God, the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit who dwells in the church. If the public image, think about it, if the public image of the congregation is that we are cold and unwelcoming and judgmental gossips, or if the reputation, the name of the, of the congregation is that we are unforgiving and impatient, self-righteous party poopers. Or the other way, if we are self-indulgent, frivolous, uncontrolled party animals, then the Holy Spirit makes us want to fight that wrong image. The picture that's giving of the name of God, we want to fight that for the glory of God's name. And we, and we reflect on this often as individuals, as families, as a, as a congregation. How is God known through us, through me? And perhaps we will want to follow the teaching of Jesus Christ in Matthew 18. And we admonish those who are dishonoring God's name to stop living in sin to confess their sins to the people they know for the glory of God's name so that those people can know that this is not how God thinks. This is not how, how God acts. This is not what God wants. Or perhaps we will want to go out of our way. And I think here in Emmanuel we know very well about that. But we go out of our way to provide clear policies that state clearly that we desire to live according to the Ten Commandments and by the Word of God. A major part of that whole abuse prevention policy that we spent so many years looking at is, has to do with the name of God. How are we known to the world? We want to reflect command, that God commands us to, and we want to live a life that does not include abuse. We are against bullying or violating another person that is, needs to be known to the world. But whatever may be necessary to honor God's name, nothing is more important than spending plenty of time reading God's Word and praying to Him with 
sincerity and worshiping him with, with reverence and with fear and living together in kind brotherly love with each, uh, and seeking to glorify God in our work, in our relationships, in our worship. The third commandment, the Holy Spirit is leading us in that third commandment. When you wake up in the morning, you say, today again, I am going to glorify God's name as a father, a child, a mother, a husband, a wife, a worker, an employer. May God help us to live real, consistent lives that are worthy of the name that he places upon our heads, the name that is purified in, in Jesus Christ. What a blessing it is to be entrusted with the name of the Lord, even though sometimes it leads us into reproach. May his name enrich our lives so much that men and women will praise God for his glorious name. Amen.